0: I don't need much to turn me on, but are we on? Thank you a lot. Well, welcome to our damp morning together in the Word of God. Remember last week, we were still in Genesis 1 through 3, which we're going to be in Genesis 1 through 3 for a little while longer. And this morning, I want to just remind us of what we have been dealing with. Remember last week, we learned that God gave Adam the ability and the responsibility to be his image bearer in this garden temple which is called the garden of Eden and Adam is given the ability and the responsibility to be God's bearer of his image let us make man in our image after our likeness remember in Genesis 1 26. And so God creates Adam for the specific purpose, and in Adam he creates or intends to create all mankind, a race of people in whom God's inner life, this great triune being of roles and relationship, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, relationally connected, functioning in roles with one another, Adam and Eve and all of mankind is to be a living reflection, demonstration, and image of this great triune being. You remember now the greatest and the most essential revelation of God. Do you remember that by now? If I were to ask or someone would ask you, what is the one, the most central, the core revelation of God that is the absolute most significant thing about God? What is the most significant truth about God? what is it let me say it negatively then positively he is not a single person God but he is a triune being and as a result of his triunity Father Son and Holy Spirit everything is here if God were not a triune being creation itself would not exist if God were not a triune being man would not exist The cross would not exist. Nothing would exist. There would be nothing. Why? Because it is impossible for anything to exist apart from the reality of God being a triune being. Three persons in one. Now we don't think that way, do we? But we must think that way. Because there's only one way that everything is. And it is the way that it is. That God is triunity. So there can't be any other way. So that means that the Jehovah's Witness God cannot exist. That Allah, a single person God, cannot exist. That all these pantheons of gods and goddesses cannot exist. This that we have, that we experience, that we know is reality, is reality does exist on one basis alone God's trinity triunity and so he creates man to demonstrate that to be reflective of that to be an image of that and he does it in a particular way he gives Adam three mandates and each mandate has to do with Adam and one has to do with Adam being what priest prophet and king Priest, prophet, or prophet, priest, and king. We talked about that last week. If you didn't get it last week, go online and listen to the movie online or whatever it is that you do, but please keep up. So Adam's mandates in Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 2.15, these three mandates are for Adam to be able to reflect, to image God as prophet, priest, and king. Extremely important. Why? Because who do we know? is the prophet priest and king in one man who Jesus Jesus Christ and so all of a sudden you begin to see a connection between whom who God has made Adam to be and who Jesus will be when he comes in the incarnation to fulfill Adam's mandate because Jesus comes to fulfill the mandate that Adam broke through disobedience and so exactly though before we continue what is God after in giving these three mandates remember everything about my life and about your life about your purpose about what you need to do what you need not to do where you need to go what you ought to be who you ought to be why you ought to be and all the ought to be's everything about us every decision must be made within the context of or under the umbrella of Genesis 1:26. Now, if you don't know what that verse is now, by now, having been in this class for eight weeks, I don't know what to do about you. Genesis one is the context in which our life has been birthed and in which it must flow. And so each of these mandates, say how many of them? Three. Prophet, priest, and king. Each mandate has to do with something of one of the persons of God because God is triune, therefore the mandates are what? triune have you seen this are you connecting this remember as we look at the word look at it through genesis 126 what is god doing here he's manifesting his triunity he's manifesting in us and among us as a community his own community of father son and holy spirit so let's take a moment and just look maybe we won't get past this today but i hope we will let's look at these three mandates as king as king Adam you and I Eve the rest of mankind in Christ we are to be manifesting God's kingliness his rule remember the mandate that had to do with that what was that Genesis 1 28 take what dominion remember take dominion remember in Genesis 1 28 one of the mandates in that one It is the kingly rule, the reign. And we see that exemplifies God the Father's rule. When you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, Paul, in probably the greatest single sentence in the New Testament, maybe in the Bible, and that's a sentence, just one sentence. You think I have a lot to say in a few words. He can outdo anybody. In one sentence, he sums up God's triunity of roles and relationship. And so the kingliness of god the rule of god genesis ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 6 you see the description of the father's leadership role in those verses it is god the father that initiates that plans that moves the team if you would the god team to create remember in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth so, the father is the kingly representation here in Adam. What about priest? Adam exemplifies in his priestliness. Remember, the priest is the one who represents man to God. The priest is the one who brings in himself and in his priestly activities all of man before God. How many of y'all were Catholic? You remember what happened? The priest would come and make the sacrifice. Remember that? And he would do all the work. What? Representing the entire congregation to God. And so, as priest, Adam represents or brings, if you would, all mankind before God. He leads in worship and in serving of God. Well, who is that? Obviously, it's the Lord Jesus. You see that especially in Hebrews. But going back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 12. Jesus is the priest, the one who does the work of bringing man to God in himself through his priestly duties. What about prophet? <clears throat> in his role as prophet, king, priest, prophet. What about in Adam's role as prophet? Well, Adam's role as of prophet is to fill the earth. Go out and what? Fill the earth. Multiply and fill the earth with the image of God. Well, which one of persons of the Trinity has the specific duty, not unilaterally in himself only, but as a leader in this particular role, which one of the persons of the Trinity is now filling the earth with the image of God? The Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who is filling the earth with the image of God, isn't He? As He is taking the Word of God, the Gospel, into all the world and so in ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 this is the ministry of the holy spirit and so here you have even in these three mandates and again i i plead with us let us make sure that when we look at the word of god we're not just looking at things and moving along but we're seeing a reality we're seeing a being we are experiencing fellowship and communion and understanding with this triune being of ours as we study this as we understand this as he illumines our minds as he gives us revelation this is why it's so significant to study your word. Read it and think about it and ask God to give you understanding and, and, and do reference work and get into this word because it transforms us on the inside. It's just not an informational thing. Hey, I have a lot of stuff to tell you. I know a lot of stuff about the Bible. It is revelating to the place of transforming me and doing what Romans 8.29 says to do. What is Romans Romans 8.29. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. To the what of his Son? Image. Where do you see the word image? Genesis 1.26. There it shows up again in Romans 8.29. You see image. Hebrews 1.3. He is the exact image of the invisible God, talking about Christ. And I'll get ahead of myself if I don't stop. <clears throat> Which I have to do sometime. Put on the brakes. Let me take a little water and I'll continue. So let's look at the covenants. Remember last week we talked about, wasn't it last week, didn't we talk about the four covenants? God established after the fall several more than four, but four major covenants. The covenant with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. You got them all four. The Noadic, Abrahamic. Mosaic, Davidic covenants. Remember those covenants. Now, after the fall, God's original intention, remember, after the fall, the fall looked like it ended God's purpose. God can't do it anymore, this sin. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? Well, He's prepared for this. He knows it's going to happen anyway, which we'll talk about later on. And so God continues to move continues relentlessly, passionately, persistently toward the fulfillment of his purpose. What is that purpose? Genesis 1.26, that I will have a people in whom and with whom I will commune as my people, and through these people my triunity and the roles relationship within myself will be clearly communicated and displayed to all the creation. That's the glory of God. That's the content of God's glory. His His absolute majesty and uniqueness. And so after the fall, God's original intention, it begins to become gradually clarified. Did you hear that word? Gradually clarified as God moves toward the culmination of his intention through these four covenants. Culminating what? in Revelation 21 and 22. Revelation 21 and 22 is the culmination of what God began in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 all the way through Revelation 21 and 2 and everything between that is God's moving forward after the fall, bringing back What he intended in Genesis 1 and 2 to be fulfilled in Revelation as we see in Revelation 21 and 22, but not on the same level, but in a magnificently greater eternal level than the Garden of Eden could ever have experienced. Now, you must see your Bible this way. You must see your Bible this way. Because everything from the fall, Adam ate. Genesis 3, 6. Everything from that moment until we get to Genesis 21 is a movement of God, a clarity, a revelation, a, a, a persistent moving toward the, the accomplishment of a purpose. You say, well, what about the cross? The cross is continuing to move and to clarify and to bring reality to what God's intention is. But it's culminated and is fulfilled in its magnificence in revelation 21 and 22. so i'm not leaving out the cross because i know someone will say wait a minute what about the new covenant it is part of the whole movement forward until we get to the crescendo in revelation 21 and 22. that's what our bible is all about it's about god's purpose not even sin devil hell death nothing stopping God's purpose. Amen? What does that say for your own life? If this is what God has done and is doing, does it mean that God is now hamstrung when it comes to my life and your life? Does it mean that God now can't work it out because these circumstances are so great? Does it mean that there is someone in your family or friends that you know God can't save because this guy is such a hellhound that nobody, not even God, can reach him? Or does it mean that God's purpose will be accomplished, notwithstanding any objection or opposition? Amen? Can you say amen? What a glorious God of sovereignty and power! I don't want a wimp God waiting for me to make a decision And over here saying, well, until he does this, I can't do anything. I don't want that kind of a God. I want a God who will make the decision, who will conform me, change me, and use me in the accomplishment of that decision, even though I thought that I would be contrary to it. Amen. I want that kind of a God. Why? Because that's the God of this Bible. That's the God of this Bible. So now let's look at the similarities between the Abrahamic Covenant, these similarities, prophet, priest, and king, these mandates. Remember the mandates. There are two of them in Genesis 128, and there's one in 2.15. Two of them in 128, one in 2.15. Those are the three mandates, prophet, priest, and king. Let's see how those three mandates or worked out and are moved along through these four covenants. Because what we want to do is to make sure that we see God's purpose moving along, even though it looks like it isn't, or it looks like God has changed his mind, or it looks like something else is going on. So let's look at the similarities. First, the noadic covenant, or the covenant with Noah. Noatic or covenant with Noah. In this covenant, God determines to, quote, start over. Now, do you notice, I don't know if what you have in your, but when I say start over, I mean in quotes. It is not a real start obliterating everything and absolutely nothing's here, and I had to start over again like that. But it is a recreation of sorts. It is a picture of what God is going to do in order to fulfill his purpose. And so in the noadic flood, in the noatic covenant, God shows us in order for my mandates, in order for my purpose to be, fulfilled there has to be a recreation a starting over again that's what the noahic covenant tells us and so in this covenant with noah he starts over if you would by making a covenant with him you see that in chapter 6 verse 18 i will make my covenant with noah and that covenant will protect and move his original intention forward by recreating the earth through the flood recreating the earth through the flood okay that's what he does there now i see in that an intimation of john 3 3. do you remember what john 3 3 says jesus is answering nicodemus and he says verily verily i say unto you nicodemus what unless one is born again you cannot see the kingdom of heaven it is a recreation that is necessary in our lives if we are to be those who fulfill god's mandates it is a starting over. It is called being born again from above. I see that in this Noahic covenant that God says, here is what I'm going to do. I'm showing you that there must be something new, a new kind of humanity that must exist in order to come into the fulfillment of my Genesis 1.26 purpose. This is bigger than just a rainbow and how many days did it flood, and the ark and all that is so much there that we don't have time to deal with, which is like, ugh, why can't we just deal with all this? We probably will have to come back to it somewhere. But everything in that flood and about Noah and his family, Adam brates Adam breaks. you know what that means fulfill uh, foreshadows Adam breaks. Christ the ark the person and work of Christ the ark undergoing the ravages of the wrath of God the destructive power of God the ark being lashed and beaten and yet those in ark in Christ Or being saved alive as they go through the very wrath of God, but safely in the ark. See, Guess how many levels there are to the ark. Guess how many levels there are to the ark. I mean, look at what we have here. The whole structure of the ark is like, it says something about our triune God. It's not just a bunch of wood thrown together and a window stuck here and there and three, uh, eight family members, you know, and a bunch of animals trying to cram themselves in here waiting for heavy rain to stop and getting out on dry land so they can go back and do things. It's about Christ fulfilling and bringing us back to God's purpose. Don't you see it? Or you're beginning to see it anyway. This Bible is great. It is a great book. There's nothing on the horizon like it. Put down your magazines, put down your newspapers, put down everything else, and read your Bible first and foremost. And let everything else in the world go to, hmm, but you're going to read your Word of God. Why? Because this is what we take into heaven forever. Right? CNN and all of that and ESPN and all that, these things don't go into heaven. I'm getting off track. So let's look at the elements in the Noahic Covenant, as I must move along. God began with Adam. As God began with Adam, he started over a second or new beginning with Noah. And, 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 and I have scriptures in here. I'm not going to read them. But in the mandate to Noah, Genesis 9, 1 to 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, and especially verse 9, the first two verses in verse 9 of chapter 9 of Genesis, when you read those, you're going to hear Genesis 128, fruitful multiply go spread go out and take over it's the same mandate that God gave to Adam he's now passing it along to Noah so nothing has changed except God's way of doing it now must be through another man since Adam failed which next week we'll get into the covenant of works the difference between works and grace and Adam's failure You see, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, the fear of you, the dread of you should be upon every beast, and behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring. It says, go out and do what I told Adam to do. It's a continuation of the original covenant. Before the fall, Adam was blameless. Remember, he didn't sin. And Noah was also a righteous man, blameless. 6, 9. You see, you see the resemblance and the continuance of God's purpose in this covenant. Adam failed in a garden. Remember Genesis 3, 6? And And he ate, Genesis 3, 6, the last words, and he ate. That's that's the killer. He disobeyed. And Noah failed in a vineyard. Noah planted a vineyard and got drunk, you know, began to drink. So he failed. Noah drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. He was what? Naked. What happened to Adam and Eve? They were what? Naked. They were before, but they didn't realize it. So you see the similarity. You see the continuance of what God is doing through these people. Adam walked with God and Noah, 6-9, walked with God. Adam worshipped God and Noah, remember, built an ark. I'm sorry, an altar after the, on the dry land. And he what? worship God. He functioned as God's priest. He was to function as God's king. Take the rule. He was functioning as God's prophet. Go out and fill the earth. The same mandates so now into the Noatic covenant. <clears throat> what about the Abrahamic or the Abraham covenant? The Abraham covenant highlights Adam's prophetic responsibility. It, it highlights other issues, but I think among all of them, it highlights this one. It doesn't mean it excludes the others. It, I think I'm just trying to say this to you. It, there is a highlighting here but not an exclusion of the others. So the other two are there, but I believe it's highlighting the prophetic because what is the primary promise that God makes to Abraham? Abraham, you ain't got no kids and your family is going to fill the earth. Huh? You don't have any children, but your ancestors, your descendants will fill the earth. Wasn't that the promise? Remember that? You're going to be a father of nations. Isn't that it? Your family's going to fill the earth. And you, and in your seed, your descendant, all the nations will be what? Blessed. Blessed. But Adam ain't got no kids. This is why it was so crucial for Adam, I'm sorry, Abraham to have what? Isaac. Isaac, the son of promise. The son who will carry out the promise. It is the father's son who will carry out the father's promise. It is Jesus, the father's son, who will initiate and carry out and make possible the father's purpose of having a people after his own name and so the abrahamic covenant highlights adam's prophetic responsibility to fill the earth by assigning to abraham the same responsibility as a father of a multitude of nations and i have many scriptures there and hopefully you'll take the time to read these scriptures it's wonderful when you read them you begin to see the tie-in and the consistency of the word of god who made this by? who could have written a book like this with such internal integrity and consistency without a computer over a period of 4,000 years, 40 authors, most of whom didn't even know the other person except a name on a piece of paper or a pyrus or whatever it was or a stone. Only God did this. Only God did this. In this covenant, God gave Adam a place to live and God gave Abraham a place to dwell. Remember? In Genesis 12, leave your place, I'm giving you a new place. Adam walked with God in the garden, and Abraham walked with God in the land. Adam was to take dominion, and Abraham is a ruler. You remember, he's a ruler. He's a sheik. You know what that is. That's, you know, this guy, kind of like a little kingdom going around in the land. Adam worshiped God in the garden, and Abraham worshiped God in the land. So you see a continuance and a moving forward and a reiteration and a clarification of God's original intent in the garden. As we go through these covenants, we get to get a little better understanding and clarity, and God is moving us forward toward the culmination of what he intended to do in creating. The Mosaic covenant, the covenant with Moses, It highlights Adam's priestly duties or responsibilities to lead his family in the worship of God as Moses was used to be the representative or the priest through whom the people would have access to God. So Moses is the representative, you remember, of the people. Now I know that Aaron becomes the priest But in Moses, you have prophet, priest, and king in this one man showing once again that here is an adumbration, Adam, I suppose, adumbration, you see, someone who is picturing Adam's responsibility and what Adam should have been and who Adam should have been and how he should have been and what he should have done. It is now being pictured Noah first, Abraham as we're moving forward, and then in this Mosaic covenant. We have to be very, very, very careful not to think that the covenant with Moses is now no longer in effect and is not important. That is a critical mistake that many believers make because they have not understood the difference between works and grace. And so we'll cover hopefully some of that in the next weeks. It is critical for us not to think, oh, yeah, well, that thing with Moses, that's gone by the wayside. The elements of this covenant are still in force in our lives today. The elements of the Abrahamic covenant are still in force in our lives today. The elements in the Noahic covenant are still in force in our lives today. The elements of the Davidic covenant are still enforced in, in our lives today. That's important for us to see, because a lot of Christians get this funny thought that you see, the works of grace because of John 1, 17, which is a misunderstanding of what that says. And we'll hopefully deal with that in the next week or two. In this Mosaic covenant, <clears throat> as a result, Israel itself would then carry Adam's priestly function. As Adam was to be God's priest, now we have a nation, a kingdom of priests. Remember, Israel is to be a kingdom of priests. Just to think ahead, in 1 Peter chapter 2, what are we called? A royal priesthood chapter 2 verse 9 a royal priesthood why are we called a priesthood why do we want the gift of prophecy why are we to rule and reign with christ because we are showing something of the function of the persons of god that's why because god is the king if you would jesus is the priest if you would the holy spirit functions as the prophet if you would that's what this is all about not exclusively king what the main leadership role but remember all three persons function together one however takes the lead in a particular function but the other two are there there's never never a unilateral me alone work in the trinity it's all always us together with one taking the particular lead so the son of god goes to the cross and dies the holy spirit doesn't die at the cross the father doesn't die at the cross however the father and the son are involved in the death of christ It is the Holy Spirit now who is in the world ministering the gospel. It is not Jesus personally himself as a corporate being doing that. It is not God the Father. It is God the Holy Spirit doing it, and God the Father and Jesus Christ are involved in this. You see, that's how the Trinity is. Well, let's look at the Mosaic Covenant. Adam is God's son, and Israel is also called God's son, my son. Let my son go remember to Pharaoh. Adam spoke face to face with God as also did Moses. Moses spoke, the Bible says in Exodus thirty-three, eleven, face to face with God. What does that mean? I don't know. I just know what it says. Adam was placed in the garden and Israel was given God's garden land. Remember the promised land. Adam serves God as a priest in the garden temple and the Levites are to be priests God's priests in the tabernacle, and then in the temple. Adam was to fill the earth with God's image, and Israel was to be God's light to the nations. They were to fill the earth with the light of God. What does Jesus say in, in, in Matthew five sixteen? Let your light so shine before that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven jesus is the light of the world but we are also the lights of the world so as we go into the world we are filling the world with the light or the image of god that's what matthew 28 eight, uh, 18 19 and 20 are all about going to all the world what is that all about fulfill the adamic mandate that now christ has made possible So what we see the church doing, this is precisely what God was wanting to do in the garden, knowing that it wouldn't happen, ready and willing and able to bring about the recreation of everything. And so we are walking and living literally in the original mandate of Genesis 1-26. Adam's response to God was attended with blessings and curses, as also Israel's you know, um, a relationship with God, attending blessings and curses. If you obey blessings, if you disobey what? Curses. Let's talk about the Davidic covenant, God's covenant with David. God's covenant with David highlights Adam's kingly duties, his dominion, as david's heir his immediate heir solomon but then his future heir will rule over an everlasting kingdom you see in second samuel chapter 7 god is establishing with david and telling david you wanted to build a house for me hey that's great but you ain't building the house i'm going to have your son to build the house and that immediate fleshly son is solomon you remember who sits on the throne of god over israel Is called the throne of God over Israel. And when Solomon sits on the throne of God, what happens? He is given ability and wisdom and power to build God's temple. Remember that? You Remember that, the building of the temple. David was not allowed to build the temple. Why? Because you're a man of bloodshedding. But in David's rule and reign, David did everything collected, all the materials, got everything ready for the building of the temple. But David himself in that position as king, as the blood slayer or the blood shatter, was not able to build. But in David, everything was prepared. And then in David's son, everything was accomplished. Who Jesus in the incarnation, in the first part of the incarnation, because the incarnation continues, Jesus is forever a man. But in his earthly incarnation, in the history of man, Jesus could not build the house. Why? Because he was a man of blood, because first his blood had to be shed for everything necessary and getting ready. So Jesus, if you would, successor, the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, the one who is pictured as Solomon then, you know, is the one Through whom God builds the temple and the Holy Spirit remember comes upon the temple in 2nd Chronicles 7 and fills that temple And now the Holy Spirit is the one in Jesus name. He sends the Spirit and he's building the temple solomon is uh, david is a blood bloodshedder so he can't build the temple jesus it has to shed the blood first and everything now is ready for the construction of the temple only when jesus is sitting on the throne only at the ascension of jesus christ into the heavens as king of kings and lord of lords then does he send the holy spirit only as solomon sits on the throne of god and and ruled over and anointed by god now solomon says we're going to build the house Do you think that this is made-up stuff? Do you think that we're pulling straws out of whatever? Or is this God telling us something in these old covenants? Is this not incredible? No wonder Jesus says, there's a greater than Solomon here. Why does he say that? And when you look at the rule of Solomon, read 2 Chronicles, the extension of his kingdom look at the extension of the kingdom of God the rule the riches the wisdom the wealth of Solomon's kingdom look at the kingdom of God now certainly Solomon kind of breaks down in some other areas and at the end of his life ain't doing too well about this but you see the prefiguring of God's work as God in this Davidic covenant shows I'm bringing back my kingly rule As I wanted Adam in my name to have dominion and to rule, now there will be a man who is coming to rule in my name through my people. This is what Genesis 1 and 2 is telling us, and this is what we should see. And this is what we should be looking for and understanding and watching and experiencing as we move through the Bible. And as we get into the New Testament, no wonder the angels said, glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace with men with whom God is pleased. No wonder the whole heavens went off in a boom at the birth of Jesus. He's here. God's man to reclaim it all is here. And this man, unlike Adam, will not fail in his mandates. Amen. It's great. This is great. You see, Adam's place in the Davidic covenant was in the garden. God promises that through David's seed, he will anoint a place for my people. He tells them that in 2 Samuel. I'm trying to say 2 Solomon, right? 2 Samuel seven ten. Adam was to build God's garden temple his house on the earth this is what he was to do to build the temple and extend the temple throughout all of the world and david's heir solomon will build god's house anticipating david's greatest son jesus christ adam was to live in the good of the seventh day of god's rest adam was created at the end of the sixth day and he and eve and the rest of the people who were coming from them were to live in the good of the rest or the accomplishment of god not that physical 24-hour days were over but in the spiritual reality that we are living in and co-participants with god in this creative experience and we are working and walking together to spread the reality of what god has done into the rest of the world because remember this garden and by the way this is not like a little afternoon garden this is one of these great gardens that you see in europe this is you know those magnificent gardens was just a place on the earth the rest of the earth was disorder and god was to bring his order his order into all the world through adam and the last one look at these similar elements of the adamic covenant with the others all of them have a people a place, a walk, a response, and a consequence. Next week, we'll start talking about the covenant of works. Thank you so much for coming out and braving the weather. Amen.